Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Hey, good afternoon, uh, viewers of the Savage to Sage podcast. Want to welcome Philip Rene uh, here. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of Health in Real Time, and we are excited to have Philip on the show today. Hi, Ian. Thanks for thanks for the introduction. Yeah, we've been chatting quite a bit, and uh, I'm really excited for our viewers to be able to kind of get to know a little bit more about your background first and foremost, and then kind of specifically about, uh, tell me about like kind of what health in real time accomplishes as a company. Now, first, my my background is that um, I've owned and operated businesses since 1985. Um, my first business was in Zurich and it was working for UBS that I own. And uh, we, we did the uh, printing service uh, for the bank. And uh, it was it was a great job. And uh, I swam in the Xerxes every day. And, uh, and that job led to working for uh, the Big Bang in 1987 in England, which was wonderful. And then uh, that led to uh, working for Intel Manufacturing in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and estimating uh, and modeling the manufacturing line. And I also worked for McDonnell Douglas on their fly-by-wire C-17 system. So I've had this big, broad breadth of technology and lots of interesting experiences over the years. And and I, I came to this because, um, well, I moved out to California because my mom was dying and she had congestive heart failure. And and my dad had just died of Parkinson's. And, and I was amazed at the, the depravity of death. You know, I mean, it's it's just as you know, it's as as advanced as healthcare is. It's just a miserable process. And I thought, you know, we can we can actually do something about that. So I started on this journey of health in real time in uh, 2013. That's powerful. Because of your parents' experiences, was this kind of the impetus uh, to start the company? Uh, yeah, it was. It was definitely the impetus to. Uh, to, to taking a technology I've been working with, which was um, the transport of sensor information from solar fields, massive solar fields, to uh, a back end that graphically represented it and then aggregated that data in such a way as to alarm on solar panels being out and uh, routers being out and connection failures and that kind of stuff. And then uh, rolling a truck to to fix a large array of issues. I thought we could do the same thing for health, uh, but incentivize it so that uh, people were healthier and didn't have critical failures. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. If you were to like talk to somebody about, you know, what is, what is health in real time.io? Can you kind of like give me kind of a, a picture of what that is? Yeah. Um, and it, Health in real time is is really what it sounds like. It, it's that most of us don't notice our health in real time. I mean, I, I, in fact, most of us don't notice when we're sick for for quite a while, and um, and the result of that is that the failure um, becomes critical by the time that we actually know that something's wrong. Now, just think back to an ankle injury or something that you had that was just a minor thing and you thought, oh, I'll get over it. And then the next thing you know, you're, you know, 
walking around on crutches, you know, and, and trying to fix your ankle. So when we, when we measure any system in a period of time that allows us to actually interact with that system before it fails, it doesn't matter whether it's manufacturing or shipping and supply or human health, then it, it allows us uh, to keep the person active and, and happy. Uh, think of the airplane fleet that we have. It's all really old airplanes, and they all fly fine, right? And why? Because they measure them every day, and they do maintenance every day. It's the same thing we need to do as people. And so our technology does that. We measure environmental factors, behavioral factors, and vital factors, and we look at them in aggregate. And then we we reward people for doing a good job. You know, if they if they open the door and meet their neighbors, hey, there's an extra hundred tokens. You know, if you go outside and walk with your friends, that's a thousand tokens. Yeah. So we constantly are incentivizing them to be healthier, one way or another. Sleep better, take more showers, brush your teeth, eat three meals a day, sleep. You know, the, the standard stuff that you would think all of us would do that none of us do. And that's great. I mean, and I think there's such an emphasis, you know, especially especially with kind of as we've walked through this pandemic is, you know, everybody's kind of doing a, a check internally on how they are um, because what, you know, how that's the pandemic has been kind of thrust upon us. And so when I think about incentivizing people to do healthy things, like there's such a need for that within our communities and across the world. So I just, I really love what you're doing. And I think the key thing is, is incentivizing people because that's really helpful. You know, we talked before the show that like I, I do triathlons and one of the, the reasons why I train is because I know that I, at the moment I won't feel great doing the activity, but afterwards it's always beneficial. And so the fact that you're like incentivizing people uh, to kind of care about themselves is amazing. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, incentivizing them to inject um, a heroin. You know, I mean, you're 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 incentivizing them to get endomorphins, right? Because that exercise produces a drug that makes them happy, and 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 that creates a feedback cycle where they want to be happy more, and so they exercise more, and and then and then of course we need to make sure they don't exercise too much, right? And, and so the same thing, right? And, and, and this is. This is the thing we we just aren't good at measuring ourselves, and and when we help them with that, um, then then we have a much more compliant health situation. You know, the food supply in America is terrible. You know these things from behavior. When you eat too much sugar, you get an insulin spike, right? And and um, and and that actually is reflected in your behavior. You know how much energy you have, how far you walk, how far you know how active you are during the day. Well, we can see that. You know, by by just your phone, by just your phone, we don't even need anything more than that. Yeah, so it's it's great tech. Wow, wow, yeah, you just opened up something there. As far as I've lived overseas, and so I've been able to experience kind of the difference. As far as hey, food is actually food for our actually well being and nourishment. You know, kind of deal. Um, and uh, in America, it's it's kind of a commodity, you know. To how do we how do we make more of a profit at the sakes of our own bodies, you know? Uh, sadly, um, and so it does take a lot of discipline in order to take care of ourselves well. So the fact that you have technology to support that 
Um, that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, we're really fortunate. You know, we're we're pretty far down the technology chain. Some of the things that we'd really like to to hit on. Uh, first of all, we believe technology should be global, um, meaning that you, you need to serve people that have much less money than people in the United States. You know, people that make two thousand dollars a year rather than you know fifty thousand dollars a year. Um, and in order to do that, you have to have a scaling architecture that delivers the service without the cost of resources, which is, and the cost of resources is doctors, right? So, um, you know, high paid medical professions. But if you have, um, internationally restrictions are much less in the medical field. So you can deliver, um, an AI doctor's response to someone's need, um, ordering a prescription for, say, something like a urinary tract infection at a very low cost, one or two dollars. And, and you can detect it before they know they have it, which, which, by the way, sepsis went from the 10th killer in the world to the third killer in the world in the last 20 years. So, you know, there's a need for that kind of stuff. Yeah, great point. Can you tell me, like, from a practical standpoint within kind of the U.S. market, how does your product help, like, analyze people's health to encourage them to make different healthier choices? So we have a pretty deep technology set, but it, it starts with uh, Android phones, and then it, uh, which means that if you just had an Android phone and your sensors were enabled, depending on which version you have, it, it, could, it could measure your activity level, your number of steps, the amount of light in your room, um, the, the amount of times you've exited your house, um, uh, so th- those are that's actually a lot of information. Also, your sleep time because the phone's just sitting on sitting someplace, and when you pick it up, you know you, it starts moving, so you can tell that they've been in bed a certain amount of time. So um, it, it, we can, we can reuse those factors to determine a partial health equation and incentivize that person to if they don't leave their house often to uh, get outside to meet people because. Uh, socialization is 50% of the health equation. 50%. Yeah. 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 So, uh, meaning that um, if you're only seeing, if you only have three to five interactions with people a day, you're way below the need level. The need level is nine, you know, and, and um, meaning that when you have nine interactions, you start to feel better. Even if you're like a sourpuss, you know, <laughs> you, you still need people to talk to you, right? And, and, uh, and, and so if they're not, if no one's coming to their house, if that door isn't opening, if they're not leaving their house, then they're not getting any interaction, right? So you can always tell, right? And, and that's a big deal. That and, and also their activity level, you know, if they're sitting on a couch watching TV all day, um, you know, they need to be active two, three hours a day. You know, I mean, moving your arms, moving your legs. And, and that's an easy thing to incentivize. You just pay them for it. You give them something they can exchange for something they want, whether it be shirts or or a food that they want to buy or anything like that, right? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Taking kind of like um, a bit of a turn, you know, kind of away from the business a little bit. You've been in business for as long as I've been alive, you know, developing, owning all this type of companies. Oh, you're making me feel old. Well, no, because on the, before the show, we talked about like, um, you know, kind of, you know, your role to me, that's very impressive. 
the fact that you've been um, owning, running businesses, starting, facilitating businesses. And so how, how we like to kind of communicate that on this podcast, the savage to the sage, um, it's just kind of like, uh, uh, what we say is that like to start a business, to go out on your own, you kind of have to be a savage. You kind of have to like be kind of, you have to be willing to take on the world, you know, be, uh, you know, taken by your ideas, your convictions, and to really kind of go after those things to promote your business. And then we've also know that like, as you're in business for long periods of time, you learn lots of lessons really quick. Um, and throughout the years, and that kind of creates like this sage wisdom. As you kind of, you know, like at the beginning part of your career, you know, kind of, do you remember like what kind of got you into starting and wanting to run your own businesses? Yeah, yeah. I, it was incredibly easy then. I mean, God, it was so simple. Seriously, a, a guy called me up. I was working in Denmark, and I worked with this guy, brilliant man. Brilliant man. I totally had some moral issues, but he was a brilliant man. And, and he just said, hey, you want to be my partner, you know, in, in business? This was the UBS job in Switzerland. I said, sure. I said, as long as you pay me X amount and you pay for my living, you know. And so I flew me out to Switzerland. I lived in a penthouse apartment. I got $75 an hour, you know, had a little car assigned to me. It was great. You know, I mean, that, that's how I got into business was it was not painful at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, that's, that's great. That's great. I love it. <laughs> that led to a, a business in England. Actually, a guy offered me a job to work in a business, you know, a partnership in England. And um, I, I went to work there, you know, and, and so it, 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 it only became painful when I got back to the United States, which has the hardest business environment by far, by far. Yeah. I mean, let's unpack that a little bit. Let's, let's unpack about like, can you tell me some specifics, you know, from your time in Europe to coming back to America, what were some distinctives for you? God, what a difference. I I, I left in 84, came back in 88. Um, First of all, I think Europe hadn't had as much of the American influence then. And uh, they still did business with a handshake. You know, it was personal, right? It was personal. And and once they shook your hand, it was a done deal. You know, you could count on it happening. You know, they'd pay the money, you deliver the service, it was done. Um, that is not, there's a lot of fraud. You know? So anyhow, I, I leave in 84, I go to Europe, it's wonderful. I live in the best cities in Europe. You know, I lived in Copenhagen, Switzerland, London, great, great jobs, great businesses, good companies. Um, and then I got homesick. And I I, uh, I could have stayed there forever, um, but I, I came back. And when I came back, I remember flying into the United States. So I'm coming from this handshake, trust each other, do the job, get paid kind of environment. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm flying in. And like the, the airport was trashed when I got there. You know what I mean? It was, it was like, there was trash on the ground outside. It was New York, you know, and it was, it was a completely a complete change in like the, the pride perspective of, of the environments I was in. You know, Switzerland's very proud, right? And to the, the environment of New York city and, you know, kind of a trashed out place. And then when I was trying to start businesses, oh my God, you know, there's so much fraud. It's still true today. I don't know. I don't know if you've, you know, I, I mean, I probably get 10 fraudulent 
requests a day, right? Um, but even starting the business, there's the handshake deal is it's such a big country, it's just not there. You know, you you really, really have to work a lot harder in the United States to get a business going than you do someplace that's got a smaller economic community like Europe. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good insight. I mean, and I, I've lived uh, a vast majority of my life overseas. Um, and I've been trying to make sense of kind of the makeup overseas versus specifically United States. And yeah, there's been lots of differences within my transition. And a lot of it's been under for me for developmental work and kind of working with, you know, scaling businesses um, in, a, in a cross-cultural context. And so, yeah, those were those are different experiences, um, but I'm just trying to compare them to here to stateside. And yeah, so I thank you for kind of elaborating on that. That's really helpful. Yeah, I'm not sure it's everybody's experience, by the way. You know, and and I, that's kind of old school. You know, the handshake in the business. You know, the new school is like online. I I I have to tell you, I'm not I'm not crazy about online. You know, I think there's a a lot to the feeling of that hand shaking your. You know, how firm they shake your hand, and do they look in your eyes? You know, do they look away? Do they? You know, what's what's their physical makeup? All that stuff doesn't come through online, and. And uh, I actually care about that stuff, you know. I mean, it, it, it. I, I, I want to deal with someone that's in the game, you know, the game of life. You know, that they're healthy and they're, they're, they're vibrant and their eyes look you and they're confident and you know their handshake means that that they mean what they're saying. You know, how how do you get that online? Yeah, you know? no, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, there's just the the idea of values um, are just so important. That's one of the things that what I love about, you know, full stack and, you know, people that I align with is just having a strong value based. I've worked for organizations in the past that, you know, will will have values, but the question that I always have is that do they represent their values? I think is always kind of the is always kind of the the, the secondary question, right? It's always important uh I think first first and foremost is to have a, a good set of values. Uh, but then even better would be to have a set of values that you can actually live by and be a part of as an employee or an owner um, to really facilitate some pretty transformative things uh, for a company, for business and all those, you know, and all those important matters of life. So a- as you think about your your journey, you kind of had a great, you know, kind of time in Europe. When you came back stateside, um, you were trying to start some businesses, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, what was like, t- talk to me a bit about kind of like team culture, um, and like how you would find core members for your, for your business or for your team. What was important for you? Um, I, I've only, I'm a slow learner that way. So it's, I've, I've only been successful recently. I just, I just want to say it's been 40 years and, and that, um, I made a lot of mistakes. The first mistake was, to have someone attracted you to you because of what you're doing or the money you have, and then uh, for them to sell you, and then to believe the sell, you know, which is, which can lead to all sorts of problems, you know, because what you said is absolutely right. The value system is the core of of who and what we are, and how well you're going to get along with someone. Um, for me, it's everything. I mean, it's absolutely everything. So, in fact, the reason that I have a good team now is because um, <laughs> this is a great story, by the way. I, 
I had this team member, a partner, who was a finance guy, and we were going after a raise. So he was going after $100 million, which I thought was way too much. But he was combining it with a, a, a bunch of other synergistic companies, right? Um, so he I, he knows my schedule and everything. And he's, I, you know, when you when you give people responsibilities, you let them run with it, right? I mean, you, you don't like micromanage them. So he's running with that. And I'm running with the tech team and, you know, getting all the collateral working and business moving. And, and um, I'm on a trip to, uh, to Colorado. And while I'm on the trip, I, I find out that um, all the investors and people in the company are meeting and I'm not invited. I was like the CEO, right? I mean, I, 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 I started the company. I ran the company. I, I handed him the CEO position because he needed it for the financing, right? So, and then I just took the CTO position because I thought, well, you know, this is, this is how you position it for, for getting a raise. Uh, biggest mistake. So it turned out that he had created a, a shadow company and was funneling the investment money to the shadow company with me not involved using all of the resources that we had. Okay. So how did that happen? You know, okay. That, well, it happened because he had the skill level that I needed. He was really good at the conversation. And, and even though there seemed like there were some value disconnects, I believed him, you know, so what happened out of and this actually turned into a really good thing. I just want you to know this isn't about the negative thing. This is actually about the positive thing, right? What happened out of that is that, of course, immediately I shut him down. You know, I I turned off the company because I had the tap, right? And so I shut everything down. And all the people that had integrity and value, they moved into my camp. And the people that had no integrity and no value didn't recognize that, you know, they moved into his camp. Well, that attracted a lot of really high-level people, right? People that I have 100% faith in. One of the guys has invested 300000 The CTO currently, he's invested 300000 of his own money into the company to pay for employees. So, yeah, it's a big deal. So, in fact, it's the best thing that ever happened. So, yeah, and I'm sure that's not everybody's story. I, I just think... Um, that trial by fire is absolutely, you know, it's the old saying about warfare. <laughs> you know, your best friends are the guys you get in the ring with, you know, the guys who have hit you as hard as they could, the guys you've hit as hard as you could, and you still maintain your friendship. That's the guy you want to have your back. And in business, that's the guy you want to have your back. Yeah, that, <clears throat> thank you for sharing that story. I think it's, it's really helpful when um, our guests are able to kind of like share about things that didn't go well. And to be honest, like, I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why we do the podcast is, is that we, you know, for us, we learn a lot, but it's also a gift to kind of the, the startup community is to kind of be able to kind of learn from other people as they go on, we'll call, we'll call it the savagery of, you know, entrepreneurship is like, you know, like we had a, a recent guest on here that said like, yeah, I tried an MBA and I got bored with it and, and, you know, in about like a month because all of the skills I needed to learn were from actually going out there and doing it. And the amount that I've learned by putting myself out there is just, it's volumes more than I could ever get through an MBA program. 
And I just, just doing life and trying to figure it out and falling forward um, is just so much about what this journey is about. So thank you for sharing that. No, it's the whole thing. I, I totally agree. And, and you're an athlete, you're a triathlete, you know, no pain, no gain, no pain, no gain. And, and it's the same in business. If, if you haven't failed, you're not trying. I used to say that in skiing. You know, if you, if, if you're not falling, you're not giving it, you know, you better be falling. You know, you, you gotta, if you're not going faster than you think you can go, if you're not trying harder than you think you can, then you're really not in the game. You know, the same with business. You're going to, you're going to feel a lot of pain. You're going to hire the wrong guy. He's not going to do anything. It's going to set you back six months. You know, you're going to have a partner that tries to cheat you. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Just get over it. You know, yeah, (laughs) get over it, get on with it. Right. (laughs) That's funny. When, um, this is great. Um, so like going back to kind of what you were saying as far as like, Hey, like just now you kind of feel like that you have the team around you that you've kind of wanted, like how, how do you attract people that like would subscribe to your why, um, within your company? Like what, you know, is there specific things that you do in order to kind of facilitate that? I think it's as, I think it must be the same as everybody. I just I just saw a podcast on that where a guy was talking about how he's uh, uh this was with new chip and accelerator that we're in. Um he was talking about how all the people that he's got working for him were people that he met through other people that were you know either working for him or with him. I think working with is better. Um it's the same. It's the same. You just when you when once you attract that high quality core. I, I, back in karate years ago, we had like three guys that were just incredible. And you know, when you, when you get that, then the next thing you know, you get five, and then you have seven, and you have ten, right? Because um, because good performers that um, are are selfless, they attract good performers that are selfless, right? And and that's what you need, you know. So that's what I'm finding now is is we're we're growing a little bit. Each person has got people they know and. And so they're being pulled in. So uh, uh, we're actually getting some synergy and some growth that way. And uh, it, it's it's very rewarding. That's cool. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yep. Yep. Surround yourselves with good people. Like this is, you know, this is going to be kind of interesting. So like, you know, starting your first business, like as a founder and a team leader, like kind of what have you learned? I, I mean, it's hard. What is a couple of things that you've learned during your evolution uh, within business as a founder, as an entrepreneur? Um, uh, I tell my kids this every day. I say, stay in the game. The most important thing you do is, is not to give up on yourself. When you have a valuable idea, don't stop. Stay in the game, no matter what. No matter what, you know, do your exercise every single day. You know, you got the idea. You've worked on it. Don't give it up. You know, stay in the game. The world will catch you. You know, the world will come around. You can't time the world. So you got to stay in the game for the world to come around to you. So that's that's the first thing I've learned. The the second thing is um, just uh, be relentless. You know, just be relentless. You know, don't. Don't think, oh, poor me, whatever the hell it is people think. You know, just just uh, get up, you know, every day, do the same thing, 
hit your head against the wall, bang it as hard as you can. And those things that you hate to do most, do them first. You know, like me, I hate marketing. Dude, I can't stand it. I like I, I don't like to call people. You know, I, I, I like to do things, right? And, and I like people a lot. It's just that I, I always feel like I might be bothering them or whatever it is, you know? And um, I, I have to do that first thing. That's it. That's it. You can, I got to do it first thing. Otherwise, I just won't do it. I'll find a million reasons, you know, why I shouldn't do it. You know, like, I, oh, I've got this to do and that to do. No, no, no. You know, the thing you don't like. That's the one you put on your plate first thing in the morning and get her done. So that's that's, that's, that's great. That's great. Okay. Wonderful. What has been something that has been the most re- best or most rewarding thing to kind of come out of your evolution? I, I'm not dead. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I Actually, I would say um, that the most rewarding thing was the that guy that, you know, I've had so, look, you just, everybody that's in business, uh, you know, it's like, it's like a, a bunch of basketball games or something, you know, you, you have all these stories. I've, I've literally had one of my mo- most needed employees die on a pl- in a plane accident. Oh, Seriously. yeah. 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 Like the yeah. plane went down and her whole family died. I was like, holy shit. You know, I mean, how, how do you even plan for that kind of stuff? Right. So I, I, just stuff happens. Right. And, and, um, I, I, this thing with the partner that that was the best thing that's ever happened. Really? I, I mean, it took me like a month to get over it, you know, but, but once I was over it, it really helped, um, my, my execution perspective, you know, because, I started to do what he was doing and, uh, and I realized that, you know, I can do this as well as him. You know what I mean? Like, like it's like Elon Musk tells every engineer, he says, I don't care if you don't do it because I'll just do it. So, you know, get out of here. <laughs> you know, that's, that's it. Right. I mean, you got to believe in yourself enough where you try it and do it. And, you, and it's amazing. You actually can do stuff. Right. So that's it. The thing I've learned is that don't believe there's anything you can't do. Um, just, just you know, uh, you know, pick up the shovel, pick up the marketing, you know, get her done. And and uh, and and when someone isn't doing their job, get rid of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just gotta get good. Oh. Yeah. This has been phenomenal. Um, one last question for you, Philip. What is sage advice that you would offer? Um, to anybody, to a new entrepreneur that's just launching out, what's some advice that you would give to somebody that's getting started? I tell them that they are the core of the world. They, they are the future. You know, if, if we don't have them, we don't have anything. So, uh, thanks. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.